0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, uh, more good, and uh, crazy uh, martinis for you today. And then we're also uh, going to have a, a special discussion since it is December now, Jim. And as you alerted us all on Twitter last night. Uh, Mrs. Garrity had control of the remote last night, and you ended up watching a Hallmark Christmas movie, which I think just about every married guy ends up doing at least once, if not more times, throughout the holiday season. And so Jim and I are going to offer our unvarnished thoughts. So you got two men commenting on Hallmark Christmas movies coming up later, so ladies, brace yourself. But uh, I think you're going to have some fun with that. Uh, anyway, let's talk about our first good martini. And uh, Jim, Yesterday, we talked about the revelations that Chris Cuomo had a much more direct, much more significant role in his brother's damage control operations, and the question was how much longer he could survive at CNN. Well, yesterday, CNN, after letting Chris Cuomo on the air Monday night, hours after that story first broke, uh, decided they needed more time to review all the new documents that were part of the uh, the state's official report on the, uh, all the Cuomo scandals, and they've decided to indefinitely suspend Chris Cuomo, which sounds a lot to some people like, yeah, I don't think this suspension's ever going to end. This will ultimately result in Chris Cuomo no longer having a show at the network. Other people are like... You know, Jeffrey Tubin was off the air for a number of months, too, but they found an excuse to bring him back. So you never know if this is the end uh, for Cuomo. But the fact that CNN is at least uh, putting him on ice for the foreseeable future uh, shows that either the pressure got to them or they actually recognized that uh, he was well beyond his bounds as a journalist in what he was doing there.
1: Yeah, we don't want to oversell this and my colleague Kyle Smith makes the argument this is basically early Christmas vacation for him. They're going to pull a Jeffrey Tubin. They're going to, you know, have him uh, on paid leave. Uh, for a certain number of weeks. And then when it feels safe, they will come back out and bring him back and say, "Tisk tisk, you know, this is bad. But he's learned his lesson, which, by the way, was what they told us earlier uh, before we found out that, you know, yes, he was actually not merely communicating with his brother during the whole sexual harassment scandal. Uh, now we learn that he was going even further and, and helping, you know, collect information for his team and help them collect, you know, background information about the women who were accusing him and things like that. I do think, though, when we talked about this earlier in the week, there was a sense of like, well, he survived this is fine. And, and CNN hasn't reacted to anything else he's done. So why would they uh, do anything? And the fact that they did something yesterday, I think is a good sign uh, that this ha- has reached a new level of, you know, not even Jeff Zucker could divert his eyes any further. I also wonder and su- strongly suspect you're hearing more internal dissent in CNN, uh, more people who are simply not as invested in the good reputation of Andrew Cuomo as, as Chris Cuomo is and who've said, nope, sorry, this is not good and who I think are pushing back against the network's approach on this. Uh, you know, again, this is much further and I suspect much worse consequences. I guess the other thing kind of jumps out at this is that you know, for much of 2020, most of the mainstream media was telling you Andrew Cuomo was a good guy. And it turns out Andrew Cuomo was not a good guy. And oh, by the way, as bad as his sexual harassment is, we really shouldn't keep, you know, ignore the fact that he killed a lot of grandparents with the policies, decisions he made to send them back into nursing homes when the COVID-19 pandemic was at its worst. The second thing that kind of jumps out of this, though, is that. You know when they were doing their shtick with the giant Q-tips and all that kind of stuff. Most of the mainstream media said, "Oh, is this great? This is riveting television." Oh, is this? You know, and even even I enjoyed like the first one or two of those uh, teasing each other and you know that. Some others, brothers, mom always liked you first. But, you know, week after week, month after month, it became very clear that Andrew Cuomo was doing these interviews and not doing interviews with the publications that were much more uh, skeptical of him. And that in fact, doing the CNN appearances was a way to avoid scrutiny from other uh, media institutions. Well, now it turns out, you know, like, Andrew Cuomo is as bad as everybody thought, and Chris Cuomo is as bad as everybody thought, and he's been put on this indefinite suspension, and, you know, it's conceivable Chris Cuomo will leave. This will be a giant vindication for the right. And I think is you know, ideally people would learn from this and say, oh, wait, wait, maybe those conservatives have a point every now and then. Maybe those conservatives aren't just knee-jerk opponents of everything they don't like. Maybe they really have legitimate arguments. But I figure, Greg, I'm setting my
0: sights too high. The Cuomos are certainly not uh, lacking for money at this point, and as our economy enters an unstable phase here with the inflation and the value of the dollar all over the place, uh, you'll want to make sure that your portfolio is as strong as possible as well, and that's where investing in gold and silver can come in. Uh, For example, the price of silver has increased 340% since 2000. It continues trending higher and higher. And if you need someone to guide you through the process of studying and then eventually investing in gold and silver, you need to head over to Universal Coin & Bullion. Universal Coin & Bullion is offering
1: our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, which just happens to be the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30.
0: Postage is free and you'll be dealing with the experts. You can tell by the, the heft and the weight that it has in your hand what that ounce of real silver uh, actually feels like. And again, uh, the track record for this investment has been great uh, over the past few decades for both gold and silver. So uh, you'll also want to know that the company's president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is recognized as America's gold expert. He's the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. Uh, this special silver deal, though, only available using the code Martini when you call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800 800- UCB Gold. All right, Jim, second good martini uh, comes to us from the U.S. Supreme Court. You never want to read too much into oral arguments, but uh, we had the oral arguments today on the Mississippi pro life law that uh, would ban just about every abortion after 15 weeks. Of pregnancy. And of course, uh, some are uh, wondering whether this means the court will actually strike down Planned Parenthood versus Casey or even Roe v. Wade itself. The state of Mississippi has asked the court to do that in conjunction with this case. Uh, You actually had a lot of. uh, Chatter from Clarence Thomas today at the beginning of the oral arguments, that's uh, fairly rare, asking uh, those defending Roe v. Wade and opposed to the Mississippi law where the Constitution actually provides for a right to abortion. He clearly does not believe such a thing exists. And so one of the big fights was uh, over the credibility of the court. That was the big argument from Sotomayor and Breyer today is, well, if you were to strike down or severely damage uh, Roe v. Wade, what will it mean for the integrity of the court? That is usually an incidental issue to the constitutionality of the issue, Jim. I remember when Obama was making that argument as to whether or not the court would strike down uh, the individual mandate, which it should have until John Roberts uh, rescued it in a convoluted manner. But just to show you how weak the position of the of the pro-choice side is on this, here's Justice Sotomayor, who's clearly doing the heavy lifting for the pro-choice side of this debate, uh, actually trying to argue that we can't possibly know when life begins and to say that you know uh, makes it a religious debate. Listen to this. How is your interest anything but a religious view? Um. The issue of when life begins
1: has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. Um, So when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect the life that's a religious view isn't it because Respect, it assumes that a fetus is life at when you're not drawing gear when do you suggest we begin that life
0: quite a pronouncement there from a justice who's obviously aligned with the so-called party of science jim but uh in the end hopefully this is a good martini given the makeup of the court that there will be a much stronger right to life for the unborn a few months from now when this is likely to come down.
1: You're right. You don't want to jump to any conclusions. And in fact, I think most people strongly suspect that almost all, that if not all of the justices, then, then you know, eight of the nine, if not all nine, pretty much knew what they thought of this issue before they heard oral arguments even began. But I do think there's something really remarkable that happened today, particularly as vivid in the comments we saw from Justice Sotomayor. Even if you're a a Supreme Court justice and you feel like you know this issue backwards and forwards, and you feel like you know what the Constitution says or doesn't say, and you know the right way to interpret whether a law violates the Constitution, you're still supposed to go through the motions of listening politely. (laughs) You're still supposed to act like you you haven't already come to conclusions, that you have not prejudged. You're supposed to at least seem like you've got an open mind. And you want to hear what uh, the the two you know representatives of the two sides have to say. Now, I saw some from some folks on Twitter that you could argue that very skeptical or very tough questioning is the job of a Supreme Court justice. That you're supposed to try to poke holes in one side's argument because you want to uh, you want to challenge it. You want to spot any contradictions. You want to spot any weak spots or something. So by itself. Sonia Sotomayor giving this, you know, just, you know, relentless, emotional, angry, you know, very tough questioning of the uh, Solicitor General of the state was not, you know, by, by itself was not necessarily wrong. But at one point, she says the court will not be able to wash away the stench. Of, like she basically got up and started speechifying. And that, I think, is uh, not the proper role of a justice. I think that does indicate that not only did she prejudge her thoughts on this, and I think most of us are not surprised by that, I think what's really shocking is that she could not go through the motions pretending that she had not already made up her mind on this. And all kinds of her arguments, a lot of people, now listen, You know, I'm, I'm a right of center guy. The vast majority of people I follow on Twitter are also right of center and they're probably going to have they may see it differently than uh, a left-of-center commentator would. But a lot of people were really underwhelmed by Sotomayor's thinking, including her assertion that uh, the belief that life begins at conception or at some point during the pregnancy process and that at some point the murder of the child within the womb is murder and it's not merely you know, you know know wiping away some cells or something like that. She argued that as an inherently religious viewpoint. I don't think you can... You can, you can make that argument. Not, you know, Exhibit A is the sheer number of people who are atheists, but who are also pro-life. The second thing she said uh, was she kept insisting that, we. You know, I, I think it was at one point John Roberts in a comment that kind of surprised some people made the observation that our laws on abortion allowing it right up to you know, really partial birth. I was gonna say right up to birth, but even to partial birth um, puts us in the neighborhood of China and North Korea. Not the kind of countries whose you know, record on human rights, women rights, uh, or, or individual rights is anything we think we should be anywhere near. And I believe in the Sotomayor, one of the opposing councils made the argument, no, 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 we're, we're totally in line with Europe. That's not the case at all. Europe actually has much more restrictive laws on abortion, particularly late in the term than, uh, uh, than the United States does. And I think a lot of us you know, would say, you know, even if you don't want to see abortion banned tomorrow, I think something along those lines makes sense. You know, we keep hearing the argument, particularly when it comes to partial birth abortion. It's exceptionally rare. It almost never happens. Why do you want to ban it? And also you can't ban it because so many women need it. Well, there's a contradiction there. It's one or the other. It can't be both. So anyway, I don't know if anything that's going on today is necessarily going to change any justice's mind. But I do think if you're pro-life, you have to be pleased with how things are going. I think you have to be pleasantly surprised by some of the comments from Justice Roberts. And I think... Uh, Sotomayor, I mean, maybe she's just auditioning to be the next RBG. Maybe she wants to be a pop culture beloved justice. And maybe she wants to be someone who is exceptionally popular amongst progressive activists. But if her aim was to change the minds or sway the thinking of the other justices,
0: I don't think she did that at all today, Greg. No, no, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, this is probably one of those cases that will come down in June. And uh, I'm sure there will be a significant reaction unless the court tries to punt on this. But uh, I don't get the impression that that is going to be the result. but, But we'll see. I've certainly been surprised by that before. But every day we have stress uh, in this job, Jim. There's a lot of things that uh, bring us tension, meeting deadlines, uh, just the news of the day brings a lot of stress. And that's where something like the Theragun can help. You don't want to let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. So whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can definitely help. Theragun is the handheld
1: percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Now, whether you wanna treat your muscle tension from working out, or you're trying to recover from an injury, or you're just dealing with the stress of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it
0: out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. I just used the Theragun last night. The quads were feeling a little tight, a little bit sore. Uh, just grabbed it for a few minutes uh, and just absolutely felt better uh, after just really a couple of minutes uh, using the Theragun. So it's fantastic for those kind of spot treatments. Uh, it's also good if you need a, a regular routine. And uh, like Jim said, the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and uh, can get you on that regular routine. So the Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and even me. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at just $199. Go to therabody.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash martini, therabody.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now, and we, of course, enjoyed the election results for the most part in 2021. We're looking forward to what appears to be on course for a good Republican year in 2022, but uh, the midterms still almost a year away. A lot can happen, and kind of like 2018, uh, Republicans have the momentum like the Democrats did that year, but the Senate actually ended up more Republican that year. And that's uh, how it might look for the Democrats in 2022, because Republicans are playing a lot of defense. I uh, got some retirements there, including one in Pennsylvania, where Pat Toomey is retiring after two terms. And Sean Parnell had been the likely, I think, Republican nominee there, but um, ended up having to uh, drop out of the Republican primary due to allegations of uh, domestic abuse and a divorce case there. And so Republican leaders in the state are looking at a longtime businessman to jump in. But the guy who got in yesterday and is uh, raising some eyebrows is Dr. Oz. Yeah, Dr. Oz from the TV show, which he does out of New York. He lives in New Jersey. He's registered the vote, though, in Pennsylvania because his in-laws live there. And so Jim, in his opening statement, uh, he mainly uh, talked about how the government overplayed its hand, restricted liberty, didn't actually keep us safer in the pandemic. I think there's a lot of things in there, conservatives would agree with, but again, you've got the potential carpetbagging situation going on here. You don't know what he thinks about a whole lot else. And, you know, it it, it brings up this frustrating thing, at least for me, about how we uh, regularly, and I think in many cases, rightly so, uh, criticize uh, lefty celebrities for being so out of touch. But then when uh, a mild to moderate celebrity gets in on the Republican side, uh, the party has a tendency to fawn all over them. So I haven't seen a lot of fawning, but I haven't seen a lot of snickering about this either. So what do you think of Dr. Oz getting in?
1: Oh, Greg, I thought Ohio was going to be the disaster. (laughs) Looking at the primary there and the Way that that you know the Republican candidates keep finding new ways to outdumb each other. Um, I- I'm going to try to be nice, although I'm recognizing you describe it there, Greg, by the Doctor Oz standard. I can run for Senate in Pennsylvania. My <laughs> in-laws live there too. That's all you need. Oh, okay. First of all, I'm not a fan of Doctor Oz. Outside of the realm of politics, some of his health advice has been very, let's just say, very controversial and very disputed. Uh, And I really don't like anybody who, who's, you know, perception and discussion of health issues. There are, there are times Dr. Oz has gotten to the eight, eight top cures that they don't want you to know about. I do not believe that there are super duper effective cancer treatments that are being withheld because of, you know, corporate greed or because people don't want people to get better from cancer and things like that. I'm not saying they're automatically snake oil salesmen. And yes, sometimes people can have, people can have all kinds of remarkable experiences, due to unusual or non-traditional treatments. And sometimes they'll work great. Sometimes they won't work great. I, I think a lot of these cases, you're kind of playing on people's hope for a cure, hope for an effective treatment uh, in their most desperate hour. And I really don't like when people get in that di- head in that direction. And I'd refer to you to this you know, company called Manatec, and Dr. Ben Carson from a few years ago, if you want some more perspective on that phenomenon. Dr. Oz... Um, and he's a clear, maybe you know, one of your your top, you know, celebrity doctors right up there with Dr. Drew and uh, Dr. Phil McGraw and, and those guys like that. I, I think I would just ask Pennsylvania Republicans is look, I'm, I'm coming to this with a great deal of skepticism, I've come to this with a sense of not seeing Dr. Oz as somebody to be taken seriously, but you know what, Dr. Oz, prove me wrong, study up on the issues, don't just come up with you know, you know, here's my hot take response on this, and you know, ideally. I'm glad you know a lot about health care. I'm glad you know a lot about medicine. Let's see if we can apply it beyond. Don't, don't just be a single issue candidate because as a senator, you're gonna have to deal with a lot of them. Uh, demonstrate that you know the issues and demonstrate that you know how to turn what you want to do into policies. And let me emphasize policies at the federal level if you're going to run for the Senate. It, you know, don't tell me how to change state laws. Don't tell me how to change local laws. You know. Give me a real agenda. Give me a real sense that you can get it done. Give me a real sense of demonstration that you can work with others. And I'm willing to jump back on board. I'm, I'm extremely skeptical. And the thing I would ask Pennsylvania Republicans is: don't just vote for this guy because you've heard of him. Don't just vote for this guy because he sat on Oprah's couch. Don't just vote on this guy because he's got a lot of you know, a bunch of bestsellers and things like that. You know, treat him. If he wants to be taken seriously, then hold him to the standard of a serious Senate candidate. Don't give him the kid glove treatment because he's famous, and don't get you know. Uh, distracted if he brings in other celebrities and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, no oh, by the way, the, the, the residency issues is not reassuring me in the slightest. Could he be a good senator? I suppose. I, I you know, but this then the next couple of weeks and months to, to come, Doctor Oz, this is your time to prove the skeptics wrong. Show us you're really ready to do this job, and you'll get a second look. And I think you know, considering the dynamics of the year, it's very possible Republicans can win the 2022 Pennsylvania Senate race, but. I'm not counting on it. And I think if he if he doesn't take this seriously and if this is seen as just another, you know, schlocky shtick, uh, I think this will probably end in disaster for Pennsylvania Republicans. And Pennsylvania is the kind of state that Republicans really should be running at minimum competitive Senate races, if not winning them outright.
0: Yeah. Biden's numbers in Pennsylvania even though he was born there, are uh, disastrous right now. I think he's double digits underwater there. So if that persists, that should be a built-in advantage uh, for the Republican. I noticed that Steve Schmidt of the Lincoln Project was trying to already nuke this candidacy last night. So I'm not sure if he's actually concerned that Oz could do well there or he's just trying to nuke anyone trying to come into this race uh, now that Parnell is out. But Oh, Greg, don't make me choose. I I can't root between Steve Schmidt and Dr. Oz. (laughs)
1: Actually, correction. I, I'm I'm willing. I'm willing to try to have an open mind on Dr. Oz. I'm not willing to do the same thing about. Steve Schmidt.
0: <laughs> no, we know who Steve Schmidt is. We definitely know that. All right, Jim. Uh, I know this is what everybody's been waiting for since we teased it at the beginning. But uh, last night uh, on on Twitter, you expressed your. Frustrations there, uh, watching a Hallmark Christmas movie because you said if you express them to Mrs. Garrity, she'd probably throw a pillow at you, but she had control of the remote last night. I think most guys have this situation where uh, they end up watching at least one, probably several Hallmark Christmas movies over the weeks. I mean, they, they start these new movies around Halloween uh, leading up to Christmas, so I mean, they're just, you just get inundated by them. There's two Hallmark channels that do it, uh, and so it's pretty hard to escape but uh, one of the things that make it fun is that my wife actually lets me make fun of it while we're watching. In fact, sometimes we're texting other friends. We decide to watch the same movie because you know that's the one or two we can check off for the season, and then we kind of make fun of it as as the as the movie goes on and and, and find the plot holes and stuff. But uh, I know there was one specific thing that got you teed off last night, but uh, I'm sure there's plenty more that uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, comes to mind when you think about uh, all the fun aspects of Hallmark Christmas movies.
1: Greg, hey listeners, right now you can just hear cracking the knuckles of my of my uh sarcasm as it kind of loosens up and gets ready to work on the speed bag here so first of all i you know for all the yes i recognize i'm not the first person to make these observations or jokes i think mary catherine ham wrote arguably one of the definitive assessments and takedowns of hallmark christmas movies and even though i'm going to snark on them relentlessly for the next few minutes I would observe that like for the first 10 to 15 minutes, I liked them. I, I, for all the griping that I'm about to do, yes, they are family entertainment. Yes, they are wholesome. Yes, they are uh, something you can watch with your grandmother and there's not gonna be anything uncomfortable about any of it. There also might not be really anything entertaining for the entirety of it. But a lot of us, they do answer questions that a bunch of us have like, how is Candace Cameron doing these days? My wife is a much bigger fan of these than I am. I, I guess I can enjoy the fact that, um, you know, for the for about 10, 15 minutes, I can enjoy the fact that they're taking place always in these picturesque New England or uh, Rocky Mountain small towns where everybody gets really excited about Christmas. And they there's always some old man with a big white beard called Chris who insists that he's not Santa Claus but then does something at the end that makes you think maybe he really is Santa Claus. There's a precocious child who's always really way too invested in getting their widow mother married to the town hunk and all that. Um, you know, the, the Holderness family, uh, these you know, rather funny YouTube videos, loves to do parodies of them. And they point out that it always has some element of the town hunk who's trying to restore the town gazebo or save the peppermint factory or whatever, you know, the, the contrived plot line is. It's always like, He, you know, he's a lumberjack and he wears flannel shirts and I'm a big city girl who's got this busy job. Could I be happy with him? And it turns out he's actually inherited a million dollars from his grandfather. So he was rich all along. So it's okay. And yes, you know, my wife enjoys them, wants to watch them. And, you know, I get a few comments and then she's like, stop it, stop it. And then the pillows start getting hurled. I try to give them a chance. I try to not, you know, automatically snark. Although I do think, Greg, at some point we can expand the concept of this podcast. And I'm envisioning something like Mystery Science Theater 3000, where at the bottom of the screen, you just see the back of our heads and we just do a running commentary during either, you know, a Hallmark Christmas movie or one of the genuine Christmas classics like um, Die Hard. Yes. And uh, so <laughs> the line of dialogue that got me, where I just couldn't let it go, where I just felt the need to pick up the phone and just sharing this with the world of Twitter, is that we're watching the female protagonist, who once again is a busy business woman with no time for love. I think honestly, Be the Goodney, t- the title of the um, movie was A Christmas CEO, and the char- main character's name, Greg, I'm not making this up, was Christmas. Uh, no word if it's a Hallmark movie. So, I mean, my understanding was Christmas comes once a year, uh, but it's a Hallmark movie, so it, it didn't arrive at all. So, the line of dialogue that jumped out at me was, "I missed the last two Christmases with my family because I had to make sure those consumer reports got filed." <laughs> now, first of all, this sounds suspiciously like having the right cover sheet on your TPS report, as we all remember from Office Space. Yes. But I, I'm sitting there thinking, like, wait a second. First of all, what? What, for these, this isn't. You know, they don't say specify what kind of consumer reports or who she's filing this to or something like that. I don't know if that's something to do with the magazine consumer reports. But, but wait a minute, you're the CEO. <laughs> who, what, what kind of strict deadlines are these? You, well, I'd like to spend Christmas with my family, but I can't because these reports have to get filed. Who's coming after you if you don't file them? The Nazis? Like, what is this? You know, she's the CEO. There's no person above her who would be saying, "Well, by golly, you got to get those reports done." No Christmas for you. Um, and so, you know, my, my next thought is like, also, let's assume they really were as important as they seem. And you know, I, I, I so far I have yet to see any Christmas Hallmark Christmas movie that refers to the pandemic. Fine, okay, you know, nobody wants to think about that when they're watching a Christmas movie. But also apparently the internet has never been invented either because there's apparently there's no way for her to do remote work on these consumer reports. And apparently she just absolutely has to or else this you know draconian authority will come down on her. I think it was a toy company if they didn't file the consumer reports by then. Um, it really just, you know, and then the funny thing is that the very next one uh, we watched after that, by this point she's starting to fall asleep on the couch and I can change the channel. The next one on Hallmark channel last night was the one with Terry Hatcher Always liked her going back to the uh, the Lois and Clark days. Her role, honest to God, the di- line of dialogue is, you have to inspect the site tonight, but it's Christmas Eve. I can't get a contract here to show up here on time anytime. You're telling me somebody's going out on Christmas Eve? So it was I I you know they, twice in a row there was something really important that had to happen in the business world on Christmas Eve do, do people at Hallmark work on Christmas Eve is that why they have this? The only people we know who work on
0: Christmas Eve Greg, are the Nakatomi Corporation <laughs> Oh so good so good yeah there are several different plot lines that I particularly love slash roll my eyes at they're just they're just so hilarious. the one I mentioned last night on Twitter, is the one where this person has been chasing their dream job and they've been frustrated at every twist and turn. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, of course, because that's when companies make personnel decisions, (laughs) they they offer this person their dream job, but now this person is thoroughly conflicted because the person they've been infatuated with for at least two or three days now uh, is the center of their life. And they're trying to decide whether they could actually pursue that dream job now instead of maybe uh, trying to make it uh, work in in both situations. Uh, The other one that is just always over the top is when uh, some uh, lovely young lady becomes like the piano teacher or the ice skating uh, coach uh, for the daughter of some widowered prince in some place you've never heard of, like Morgovia, and then they end up falling in love. But Jim, heres I I happened to look, since I knew we were going to talk about this, I happened to look at the lineup for this evening (laughs) on the Hallmark Channel. One is going to be called Double Holiday, and the description is, Rebecca must throw the company holiday party with her office rival, Chris. Jim, you think there's a chance that Rebecca and Chris might end up together at the end of that one? <laughs> uh, uh, another one is Christmas at Holly Lodge, where they're trying to stop a developer from buying the lodge. I'm guessing at the end of that one, they'll God, probably not- evil developers. <laughs> Don't they understand that these picturesque New England towns should remain exactly the way they are? Not in my backyard. Then there's Pride, Prejudice, and Mistletoe. Darcy returns to her hometown. Wasn't Darcy the guy in those Jane Austen things? Anyway, Darcy returns to her hometown for Christmas and reconnects with Luke, a former rival. So I have a feeling that Darcy and Luke might end up liking each other a little bit more by the end of this movie. But of course, when I end up saying in the first five minutes, you know, I I think those two might end up together in the end. Uh, Mrs. Corumbus always gives me that look and says, it's about the journey. But there is a positive sense to this. It's wholesome. The most you ever get is like that kiss as the snowflakes start falling right at the end of the uh, of the movie, and it's definitely more edifying than the Lifetime Movie Network. I uh, you know I, I looked over there at what their titles are for today: Trapped by My Father's Killer, Hometown Killer, <laughs> Psycho Storm Chaser, Fatal Fiance and Psycho Wedding Crasher. So, you know, whenever you get uh, overwhelmed with the schmaltz of the Hallmark Channel, just know that it's a lot better than some of the other fare out there. So, ladies, enjoy it. Guys, endure it. Snark at it with other people. That's a good way to endure it. But uh, it's definitely become an entrenched part of our holiday traditions. And uh, uh, I think that's, for the most part, fine.
1: Greg, you know, I, look, I know she's going to want to watch it again tomorrow, tonight. I, I, I've already looked. I think it's USA Network has this other one, uh, which is a similar story to what you're saying on Hallmark tonight. Holly has to throw the office Christmas party. And lo and behold, her estranged husband, John, shows up. And right as they're trying to work out their attentions, <laughs> Hans come along with his own plan for a hostile takeover, uh, looking for negotiable bearer bonds. Um, but it is, it strikes me as just fun for the whole family and uh, all I can say is when I see this network, when I see that that this beloved movie on basic cable for all
0: our listeners out there, yippee Kaye, mister Falcon. <laughs> oh, Jim, tis the season. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about Die Hard in a little more detail. But uh, anyway, a lot of fun as always. Uh, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, We're always grateful for that. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you also for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on your home devices. All you have to do is say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin & Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, if people are interested in purchasing gold or silver coins, they're going to have some very basic questions in mind. First of all, they want the best possible deal, but they also, of course, want to know that what they're getting is the genuine article. So what's the best way for anyone listening to ensure that they do make the right purchase in this area? The best thing someone can do to make the right purchase, the right quality, to make sure it's genuine, and to make sure the price is good is develop a relationship with a highly respected dealer. You want a dealer that is respected by his peers and has won awards. We have had our materials named the best gold and silver materials in the industry by the Numismatic Literary Guild. And I would recommend to people that go with someone who price checks with other dealers and has expertise in the area like I do and my company does. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.